Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark 1. Uh, we got halfway through this. Well, I'm not even sure halfway. I, don't, I got a lot of notes on this. So let's read it again, and we'll pick up from where we left off. In verse... 21. And they, praise the Lord, we're part of a they now. <laughs> they that are following Christ, they and Christ together. And they went into Capernaum, the city of consolation. And straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And that's in the imperfect there. He was teaching. He was continuously teaching. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And that's where we left off last week, the authority of Christ. And this goes on and continues to talk about that authority and broadens it out. And they were astonished. And then in verse 23, And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned amongst themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands, with authority commands he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. So we're talking about the authority of Christ. If you will, hold your place there as we're going to be marching through this text still, but turn over to Hebrews, and I want to, uh, I want to show you the authority of the voice that's speaking here. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 25, where we talk about Him being a mediator of a new covenant, that speaks better things than Abel, talking about Christ. And then there's this warning. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth, but also heaven. That's the voice that is speaking. The voice that once shook the earth was now the voice that was speaking among them. And our text continues with the, from the authority of Christ in verse 22, the astonishment of that authority, authority that is not derived in any way, authority that is, that is independently in Christ alone. And they were amazed. And then it says, 
that there was one in the there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Now, this happened immediately, according to the reading. And what what was this demon? And that's what Luke calls him. Here it's a spirit. In Luke, the parallel passage, he says it's a devil or a, a demon. What was this demon, possessed man, doing in the synagogue? You ever read that and just ask, well, I mean, apparently this, the, 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 apparently this, this demon-possessed person uh, felt very at home and at peace there, and then the authority of Christ enters into the synagogue, and he stands up and he cries out. He was disturbed by Christ. What was he doing there? We, we, we know... By the way, the devils are at home confessing certain truths. Uh, the, the devils believe there's one God and they tremble at the fact, uh, says James, that, that the devils are comfortable being ministers of righteousness. I, I, I know a few that go around to proclaiming themselves to be righteous and going around and saying all kinds of righteous things. Um, we, 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 we know that... Uh, they're even comfortable saying true things about Christ. As we go forward in this text, this demon is getting ready to speak some truth about Christ. Oh, you are the Holy One of God. As opposition within Judaism of that day continued against Christ and His disciples, the later moniker of the synagogue of Satan, as it is talked about in Revelation chapter 2, verse 3, uh, the synagogue of the adversary was a very apt one that would later be applied. And this is not the only time that we see a connection between demonic activity and the synagogue. For instance, Jesus Christ would later tell the parable of the unclean spirit. And in the parable of the unclean spirit, if you remember, and he was directing it towards the Pharisees and the scribes of that day, and he warned them, he says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, that unclean spirit will walk through dry places, finding rest, uh, finding no rest. He'll take seven other spirits worse than him and go back to his house, and the latter, latter state of that man will be worse than the first. Uh, so there, there is this connection here with demonic activity and the place where the people of God were gathered. What we see here is a very apt picture of the state of a religious community, of God's people, when Christ came to them. Here is the place where the revival of John in the wilderness had not reached and had not yet touched. The place where Moses was read every week, the place where the prophets were read every week, the place where the people of God gathered every week was yet untouched by the revival of John. And the critical text tells us that, the that this opposition was rose up against Christ immediately. Spiritual warfare is inevitable. If the authority of Christ is preached, if the authority of Christ is presented, what is the inevitable end of that? Well, it will be resisted. Here, it is resisted. Among the religious reservers here, there was a man. And it reminds us here that here in this text, the man is not the enemy. 
In fact, as we go through, Christ is going to have great compassion on this man. But there is a man here in this text. There was in their synagogue a man. Uh, so flesh and blood is not our enemy, right? Uh, the, 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 there, there is a resistance. There is real spiritual battle that is going on around us. And flesh and blood is not our enemy. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us that. But this man, we don't know anything really about this man. It's an ambiguous man. There is no essential identity. And in the Greek, there is no article that is attached to him, which means that his identity is really unimportant to the text, uh, or at least has no direct importance. This man, though, what was important is this man had with him an unclean spirit. And there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And that's by, that's, by, that's by a matter of direct association. The devil is, what Matthew Poole says, the devil is called an unclean spirit in opposition to the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And we see that dynamic here. Here is Jesus, the Holy One of God, admitted to by the unclean spirit. And here it is, preaching with the authority of God, teaching with the authority of God, and what rises is that which is unholy, that which is opposed to Him. Let me say this clearly. Just among... God's people, there is warfare, spiritual warfare that really goes on. I'll never forget one time I was preaching on spiritual warfare, and, and I believe with all my heart the spirits were working. Uh, an opposition. I remember a man whispering the entire time the, uh, to himself as if he was praying for 45 straight minutes while I talked about spiritual warfare. There is spiritual warfare right here. We don't have to find it outside these doors. There's spiritual warfare right here among where God's people are gathering. Uh, for instance, Paul would say, later say in 1 Timothy 4, I wrote 2 Timothy 4 in my notes, but 1 Timothy 4, he says, uh, there are people who give here to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. Where were they doing that? In the church. Is, is the devil not speaking here? Is the devil not trying to do a work here? I don't have to be on Twitter for very long and watch, it, watch uh, big name preachers to realize the devil's at work in their churches. <laughs> Amen? Uh, and, and, and it's nothing new. I mean, you can, listen to the, you can listen to the big names of the world and you see there's demonic activity that is going on. There is a spiritual struggle. There are people that are giving heed to spirits. There are people that are literally associated with that which is unholy, and we have it here in the synagogue. What type of spirit is it? Well, it's, we, only know, we only know one thing. It has an adjective next to it, unclean. That's the kind of spirit it is. Well, what, what is an unclean spirit? Well, it is a spirit that is impure, mixed or adulterated with that which is wrong. And the idea here is, is that it is something that goes about to defile holy things. It was very important to uh, the culture there. 
that that which is considered unclean was meant to be separated, taken away from the, from, 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 from the congregation, not allowed to sit in the congregation. Therefore, the lepers of the day had to congregate somewhere else. And if they were walking in the streets, they had to cover their mouth and yell, unclean, 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 so everyone can avoid them. And here is uncleanness in the synagogue. That which goes about to defile holy, and, uh, ho- holy things. In other words, what is an unclean spirit? An unclean spirit is a corrupting influence in spiritual warfare. There are influences that are corrupting to the holy things of God, and they're constantly at work. Hence, we see the spirit in the synagogue where? Where the law of God is read, where the prophets are read. And they're doing their work to try to, to try to soil that holy thing. And that's, a, that's, that's, that's part of the spiritual warfare that we're in. Um, uh, Ellicott says, As in most eastern cities in both ancient and modern times, madness had an immunity from restraint, and the, demo- and the demoniacs seemed to have mingled, if they chose, with a crowd of worshipers in the synagogue. Apparently, some at the synagogue, according to verse 27, recognized what the Spirit was, recognized that it was among them, and was unable to drive that influence out. And I don't know that we ever really do until all things are put under the feet of Christ. That Spirit is possibly at work even now. Mark calls it a spirit. Like I said, Luke calls it a devil. That's what we're dealing with, demonic activity. Now, that's just, you know, there's two great, there's two great dangers when you talk about spiritual warfare. One is that you see a demon behind every bush. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That every, like, like you'll go to some of the some some of these uh, hyper charismatic co- congregations, and they're rebuking the devil of this and the devil of that, and they're rebuking this devil and that devil, and driving the devil out, and asking the devil to be bound here and bound there. But then there is another danger: is to go all the way to the other end and saying there is no spiritual influences that are affecting us, that are trying to work among us. There is. This demon, or rather this man that was being controlled by it to actualize its will, at the presence of the holy God cried out. Look at what he cried. And we'll go as far as we can or until you drive me out of here. (laughs) Saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now there's a lot of things that are here in what, the de- what this devil is saying that, 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 are, that are confusing. I'm always confused when I reach to these texts and you have these uh, the one place you have the unfamiliar spirit in Acts uh, 19, uh, or is it 16? Uh, Acts 16. Um, that's going around following Paul and Silas saying, these are the men of the Most High God. They're come to show us the way of righteousness and, and uh, almost a mockery. But it's always strange. What he's saying is not, true, is not untrue. 
we have this idea that maybe this is all just spoken out out of fear. This devil was afraid. This devil was trembling. And no doubt this devil was trembling. But this is tactical, what he says. I believe with all my heart. This, this is tactics at work. We are not ignorant of their devices, Paul would later say. Here we have a tactical cry. But he cries out in the spirit... Uh, to to let us alone and says all these things. Uh, You and I don't shrink from the spiritual realities. They're really affecting us. There are real tactics that are going on around us. There are real things that are trying to influence us, real entities, and we are part of that warfare. I hope that we are taking it seriously. Do not shrink for it. So we have this participle, saying. Uh, This man cried. So so this participle is... is, uh, is giving us a manner, if you would, of this cried out, or it could be giving us content of actually what was saying. So you could take this particle saying, is it describing how he was crying out, the manner in which he was crying out, or is it going on to describe the content of what he is saying? And I, I think it's a mixture of both. Uh, so the the manner is captured in one word and by the way this word is in the is in the Byzantine text but is uh, uh, alone and it's one little it's not even a word and it's translated in the text before you as let us alone and it's actually just two little that that translation comes from two little letters ia That's, that's how it's translated. So, so that the, the King James translators here uh, got let us alone. That's how they translated this. But, but what, what is this E-ah, this let us alone? It's this inter- interjection implying there's surprise, there is fear, there is indignation even. Ah! The devil cries. And this is, this, this is capturing that manner in which he cries. So I want to come back to this phrase, let us alone in a second. But let's talk about the content. Let's get something of the tactics that are being used here. Remember what kind of spirit is this? It's an unclean one. It is that which is going about to try to defile. It's that which is going about trying to corrupt. And I believe even if it's fearful, even if it's trembling, There is a tactic to what is being said. Being fearful, a devil being fearful, does not negate its craftiness. I think that's what we see here. I think that's what we see every time. Why did did the unclean spirits, the legion later, want to go into the swine? trying to affect the situation. Trying to muddy the ministry. And it worked. They said, they said Jesus, we don't want you in our country. <laughs> right? I submit to you that, but that's what we see here. We see some tactics of Satan here in this text. A poisoning of the well. All right, you, you, you can't withstand the authority by which he speaks. What do, you, what do you do? 
Uh, if you ever get a chance, read Screw Tape Letters. I'm not a big C.S. Lewis fan, but if you, you get this idea of, uh, of, this, uh, of, uh, of the demons conniving, trying to turn things to the advantage to keep people from, uh, to keep people from following Christ or, or seeking Christ and so on and so forth. There's a, how, how do you do it? Well, you poison the well against Christ. The devil is going to say some things here. Let's start with this little idiom. Turn a phrase. Have you, uh, have you run into this phrase quite often? But here in verse 24, he says, What have we to do with thee? That is, this turn a phrase. This is, uh, what, what, what do we call that? Uh, it, it's an, not, 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 not just an idiom. It's a, like if I say I got a frog in my throat. Huh? I verbally, or it's just, it's just a phrase that people would use in that time. And you and I have a hard time understanding. Just like if we went over to, uh, to Africa and we talked about having frogs in our throats, people were like, what? Well, what do you mean? So this was a phrase that was used. Now, if you were to give a wooden reading of it, uh, it would be this. What to, you, to us and to you? And I, I thank God that our, our translators here uh, tried to tried to clean that up a little bit to make sense. What do we have to do with what do we have to do with you, with thee? So it's a very interesting turn of phrase. In fact, we're going to find it quite a lot in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus Christ Himself is going to use a semblance of this phrase. You remember when Mary comes up to him and he says, "What do I have to do with you?" Right? And, and it was very it was a very Hebrew phrase. For instance, when the going back to 1 Kings 17 verse 18, we had the um, the lady that helped Elisha, and 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 her son had died. And what does she say when he comes? What do I have to do with you? So we, so is is a very interesting phrase, and, and it's also a very hard one. It'd be like me going to Africa and talking about frogs in my throat, right? Uh, so it's very hard for us to understand because we're so far away from that culture. We don't really understand what that turn of phrase actually means. What do we have to do with you? Now, it all depends on how we take the use of what we would call the dative. Is this a matter of advantage or disadvantage? What advantage is or disadvantage is there to us and to you? Or, or is there an implied uh, 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 verb here? What is happening right now? Or what you are doing right now, how will this advantage us? And how will this advantage you? Or could this be a rare predicate? What are we and what are you? Is you? Or, you know, I can't figure out exactly how to say that. Uh, so, so you get an idea. There, 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 is this an idea of association? What do we have to do with you? And that's all speculation. The fact is, is this is a Hebrew turn of phrase that was brought into the Greek-speaking world and is just what to us and to you. What we are clear about is that it seems to be this idea that there's this intrusion that is happening. 
there's this unwanted presence. There's this unwanted propagation. What is happening at this very moment in regards to you and regards to us? There's, there's something unwanted there. Just like when Christ said to his mother, I mean, for, for some, there, there was an intrusion there. And that's why he says, what do I have to do with you? The dative is this idea of personal interest. What personal interest is there to us and to you? And what does this mean contextually? And I feel like I'm belaboring this point, and I don't want to get lost in the weeds. But contextually, let me ask you this. Who's the we? What do we have to do? Who is the we? Now, a lot of people will say, well, the we is all the demons. Or there's only one demon present. Who's the we? By the way, this, 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 this is coming from a voice of a man who is sitting and gathered together with other people in the synagogue. What do we here at the synagogue have to do with you? What is he doing? He is painting the presence of Christ as something that is out of place there. Something that is unwanted, something that is intruding. And I'll tell you that this is something that still goes on today. If you get up and you teach, or if you go to congregation and start talking about what the Bible actually says, is that even wanted now? Why? Well, there's a demonic influence. If the truth of the Scriptures is not wanted behind the pulpit, if the truth of the Scriptures is not wanted among the fellowship of the saints, why is it? It's, so he's, with this turn of phrase, we can definitely say he is poisoning the well against Christ. You're not wanted here. And somehow your presence here is a possible disadvantage to us. It's possibly harmful to us. So this singular spirit speaks with a personal, with a personal plural pronoun, we He's attempting to place enmity between Christ and the people that were gathered together to hear the Word of God. To make them believe that somehow Christ had no place in that space and possibly was harmful, and His presence was possibly harmful to them. And then He continues, I'm belaboring, and I'm sorry, and I may not even get all this done. I just, we may just finish up with the tactics here of, the, of this demon and be done. But the tactic of the devil is to alienate the people from Christ. That's easy to do with sinners, ain't it? After all, there's none that seek him. If you're dealing with a bunch of sinful, lost, sinful, unrepentant people, uh, the easiest thing to do is just to uh, just, just kind of taint, the poison the well just a little bit, and that's enough. But he continues. How does he, how does he alienate the people? Well, he does it next with slander. Where is the slander here? Well, he says, let us alone. What have we to do with thee? And then we get the idea of what the thee is, thou, Jesus of Nazareth. So this is the you of the idiom. What have we to do with you? 
Who is you? Who is the you? We asked who the we was. Now who is the you? Jesus of Nazareth. Now, how is this slanderous? Well, it doesn't take long studying through your Bible to learn that when it says that he shall be called a Nazarene, that wasn't a good thing. (laughs) Right? For instance, take what Nathanael says in John 1.14. Can any good thing come out of that little one-horse hick, backwards little town over there that's of no importance? They probably don't even know how to read or write or they probably smell. Can anything good come out of there? And in fact, we know it's a slander because when, they, when Paul is brought up for trial and the Jews come and, and accuse him, he is part of some little sect of the Nazarenes, Acts 24. Those are the uses of the word. It's slander. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? You know, if you're going to stand for Christ, you stand with that which is reproached. He has no former comeliness. There is no beauty that we should desire Him. It's easy for the world to paint us as stupid, as as something that just isn't part of higher society and I don't know what else. But he uses slander, okay? So he's driving this wedge, right? Between the people and their God. Between the people and Christ. He first, he first slanders. Second, he calls the intent of Christ into question. Are you come to destroy us? Here's a definite us versus you. It's coming to live. And we're getting a little bit of idea what that phrase meant in this context. What do we have to do with you? There's a disadvantage that you're bringing to us. You're going to destroy us. So this us versus you dynamic is taking space. Remember, the demon is speaking through a man to affect men around him. Now, 1 John 3, 8 says that Christ has come to destroy the works of the devil. Now, that could be the idea here where where you're saying that, all right, I don't think that he's necessarily uh, giving a a deep indication that Christ is indeed the Messiah here, but or aligning himself with the, with, with the demon in and of itself. But think about this contextually. What are some of the things they were worried about? If you continue on with what you're doing, it's going to destroy us. What would that mean to the Jews that were sitting there? The devil is claiming that Christ does not have a benevolent end for them, but rather a malevolent one. He's sowing seeds of mistrust and seeds of doubt. And I don't know which way you want to take this. Are you come to destroy us? Are you come to bring the judgment of God upon us? Or are you here to bring the judgment of Rome upon us? The way you're teaching, the way you're preaching, the way you're throwing around your authority, both of those are possible. The devils would have the devil here would have a man 
have men believe that the coming destruction at the hand that that coming destruction is behind Messiah if he continued and that they would share in that and I'm being long let me give you let me give you one more the unclean spirit then claims to have a special knowledge about Christ says what have we to do with thee thou Jesus of Nazareth are you come hither to destroy us art thou come to destroy us I know thee who thou art the Holy One of God. This is, seems the strangest part of, the, the, of, of this spiritual warfare going on. And why is that? Well, what, why is pointing out that He is the Holy One of God uh, is necessarily alienating? Well, like I said before, if you're sitting with a bunch of sinners and you're pointing out that there's holiness here, what does that do? How many of you all like your sins exposed? You all like your sins exposed? No. I don't. When Peter saw that Christ was holy, what did he do? He said, get away from me. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. So the unclean pointing out to others that are also unclean that God is holy or the one standing before them is holy does not help the person... uh, to uh, tends to alienate them and divorce them from a divorce from a message of grace it'll continue to alienate them do we hide our well for another let me give you another instance do we hide our eyes or stare blindly at bright lights <laughs> no we hide our eyes from them the devil no the devils do know who he is and they fear him but here we have this word of knowledge from an unclean source. I've always meant to preach out of Acts 16, 17 about the woman with the spirit of divination. What is she doing as she's saying, these men are of the Most High God. These men are of the Most High God. She's connecting what what she's doing with them. Tainting the ministry. But when they speak, even that which is true is with malintent. You know, the devil talks of t- t- tells you true things all the time. He'll tell you the absolute truth about stuff. But he's got a bad intent for it. It's probably, this is probably not the fear of the demon, but rather an attempt to incite fear in the people. This is spiritual welfare. Well, warfare, not welfare. <laughs> not, not welfare at all. This is spiritual warfare. This is a counter-reformation. This is the Council of Trent. This is, this is that which speaks against the truth, that which tries to paint things in a different way. Going back to the idiom, what do we have to do with you? And hence, I want to defend these three words that I think really capture the spirit of the text. It was translated with this screech. Yeah. Let us alone. We don't need you. We don't want you. Things are fine without you. In fact, things are really good. There's a man that built this great synagogue for us. You're going to ruin this all for us. You're going to destroy us. 
Everything about you is a disadvantage to us. Let us alone. The Lord is good to, to us, though. But they weren't letting it lead to them to repentance. Release this man. And of course, if I wanted to hurry, I could probably get to the next <laughs> few, but I'm going to end there. I just want to leave with this thought. He's going to cast them out. The man is going to be torn. But by the way, Luke tells us that he could do that man no harm. Even though he tore him and convulsed and shook him, the devil had to get out. The authority, the authority of Christ stood and the devil left with all the, with all the fireworks that he tried to put off. The devil went out because all things must be under his feet. And the man that was cast out, they could do him no harm. But I want to just draw your attention, and I may not even come back to this. Uh, we may just go on with something else uh, next week. But it says here, and we'll, what was the response? The devil did his work. In verse 27, they were all amazed, but did they repent? In verse 27, did they repent? Because that's what was being told them is they needed to repent, just like it was told John and James and, and Peter and Andrew. No, what did they do? They started questioning as if they had the authority to question the Lord. They started saying, what new doctrine is this? As if maybe he's just doing magic tricks. Maybe this is just a matter of him having the right words. You remember the seven sons of Sceva <laughs> in, in Acts where they says, We adjure thee in the, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And then the devil tore him up and beat him up and ran him out. Maybe it's just a matter of words. If you just say the, Maybe he's just saying the word. It's a magic trick. What new doctrine is this that he commands with authority? And they began to dispute. They began to question the authority of Christ. And by the way, that's something repentance does not do. When you repented, you weren't questioning the authority of Christ. You were bowing before it. You were saying, you are Lord, and what I think don't matter. Amen? Where is this all going? Well, Mark chapter 3, the question's going to come up later, and they're going to say, we know why. We figured it all out. He's casting out demons because he is in league with the devil. He's doing it by the power of Beelzebub. That's what they're later going to come up. Here they're just questioning. How can we explain this? How can we explain this away? He is doing this. Or he just cast out this unclean spirit. Uh, but what you don't find here is repentance. What you found in verses uh, 15... Or 14 through verse 20 is repentance. What you find here is no repentance. That's just me boiling it all down. That's what it is. But the greater truth is, is you have the authority of Christ displayed. Not just in heavenly, the earthly things, but in heavenly things. All angels must bow before Him. Let all the angels worship. And despite 
everything, verse 28 says, the kingdom goes forward. The fame spread abroad throughout all the region. All their questioning, all their disputing, and even their later conclusions in Mark chapter 3 about what they just saw meant nothing because the gospel kept going forward. And it will keep going forward. I got news for you all. Christ wins. Amen? He does. I'm not going to knock on people like John MacArthur and, and, and various where he says, here we lose. No, here we don't lose. Here Christ wins. We may not always see it that way, but he does. His gospel can't be stopped. No matter what. His kingdom will come. No matter what. His will will be done. No matter what. And we pray to that end. I, I, I condensed a lot of this down just to get this in, and I may have missed some, some minor points, but uh, I hope this was a blessing to you. In, the spirit, in a matter of spiritual warfare, Christ does win. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll be dismissed. Let's, let's 